0: We're going to continue on, and I just want to encourage you, my wife told me last week I reviewed way too long, so I'm not going to review in this time. When the wife speaks, it's almost like the Holy Spirit. You obey. (laughs) But as we're going through the book of Revelation, we're going to go through it a good part of the summer, I would guess, and we've been going through it for a number of weeks, and I would encourage you, if you have missed any of the messages, you can go on to our website and listen to all the sermons, vccbalatin.org, or you can go on to our YouTube channel and watch them. I believe it's just Victory Christian Church on our YouTube channel. So you can get caught up because if you, you miss one or two, it, it can be a little confusing when you jump back in. I do want to put up a slide as we start this morning. and. As I've said every week, not everybody agrees on all of the things that we talk about in Revelation. Not by any means. I mean, a lot of them, we can't even agree on something like when the rapture of the church takes place. I believe, personally, it takes place at the beginning of the seven years of tribulation. And then during this first three and a half years, up here it's called the beginning of sorrows. You can call it many different things. But during the first three and a half years... It seems like that is a time of relative peace as the Antichrist is being raised up. And if you remember, the first seal is open and the white horse comes forth. And it represents peace, which is a false peace because it's the Antichrist. But things are such in the world at that time that this leader arises and comes to the forefront. And he makes a covenant that there will be peace or apparent peace even in the Middle East. As he comes and he makes this covenant with Israel, and that peace lasts more or less three and a half years and during that first three and a half years there's a lot of discussion of when are all the seals being opened, when do the trumpets start occurring, and what ultimately the seal the, the bowls of wrath are opened? I believe most of it takes place in the last three and a half years after the Antichrist reveals himself at what's called the desecration of the temple here or the abomination that takes place when the Antichrist declares himself God and demands the people to worship him and eventually it leads to the mark of the beast, the 666, and all of that plays out. Now, I would not say um, for certain by any means when everything plays out. I do believe there's a chronology to the seven seals, when that seventh seal is opened we get the seven trumpets i believe it's chronological and one of the reasons i think that is up to that point the seven angels aren't holding trumpets and then they're given trumpets and then the trumpets are opened or sounded one at a time and that's kind of where we have been and then eventually the seventh trumpet is sounded and it's a little different when that one is sounded it makes it sound like it's not just a trumpet blast It's a long trumpet blow extended. And out of that seventh trumpet then comes the seven bowls of God's wrath. And I believe those things, most all of those things, I believe take place after the midpoint of the tribulation. And remember, there's only three and a half years left. And there's a lot of judgment and the wrath of God being poured out during that time. And also the grace of God is manifested during that time of the 144,000 Jewish people that are marked and are protected through the whole time. And I do believe, and again, I want to clarify this again. I will ask this question all the time. Do you think people are going to get saved during the tribulation? I say, absolutely. We're going to see the biggest revival we've ever seen amongst the Jewish people because of the 144,000. But I also believe... People that can get saved that if they have never heard the gospel message before. So I want to be clear on that. If they've never heard the clear gospel message until the tribulation, I personally believe that they may be saved. But with that, I hope it's clear that if you've heard it and you're alive in the tribulation, your heart has become hardened and you will not, there is no second chance. There's no second chance. Okay, and then we go on into the Great Tribulation, that three and a half years, and all kinds of things are taking place. And where we're at today is in chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at some of the primary characters, and hopefully you recall, if you've been here before, it's called a a kind of an interlude or a parenthesis, it's kind of like... I've shared this. It's kind of like if this is all taking place and playing out before us as a play. It's kind of like an intermission, only you don't get to go relax or get some refreshments. It's just time to catch your breath. And in this parenthesis or this interlude, it gives you more of an overview of what's been taking place during the tribulation. And actually during the whole seven years of the tribulation. And that's one of the things that can get confusing when you just read Revelation, if you miss that fact that, okay, the chronology's stopping right now. Take a breath, and we're going to get some more information that's going to clarify some things. It's going to give some significance to some things that have already been mentioned or that are going to be mentioned later on in Revelation, later in the Tribulation, and they're mentioned as if they've already taken place, and that's why it can get confusing. So today we're going to be getting introduced to, to seven main characters, if you would, of the tribulation. And understanding who these characters are or what they represent is very, very helpful in understanding all of Revelation. We're going to be introduced to the woman. And the woman will represent the nation of Israel. We're going to be introduced to the great dragon. It's a picture of Satan. And these, are, these first, or first four or five are all in Revelation chapter 12. Then we're going to be introduced to the male child, which I believe is clear that it's the Lord Jesus. That's going to be in Revelation twelve five. We're going to be introduced to Michael the archangel, who re- represents the holy angels. Then we're going to be introduced to the remnant of the woman, the remnant of Israel, God's holy remnant. Then we're going to be introduced to the beast out of the sea and then the beast out of the earth. And in the midst of all that, there is the dragon Satan, obviously. So we're going to be looking at some of these and given hopefully a little bit of information that helps us to grab hold of what's taking place throughout the time frame of the tribulation. It's taking a step back and looking at who some of the players are as they're going to be talked about more clearly as we go forward. Another thing we're going to see is specifically in chapter 12 is warfare taking place. Now the first three and a half years were relatively peaceful. Depending on when you think the the second, third, fourth, fifth seal were opened would determine how peaceful. But most of what took place at that time was actually taking place through the hands of man. A lot of it. The war and the famine and all of those things. So However and whenever the time frame, as I've said before, we can debate those things forever. The symbolism, you'll see some of the things I just stated, like there's matter of fact. People don't agree on all those either. But what to me is the significant thing is realizing and understanding what takes place whenever these things occur. Whatever the symbols represent, it's usually very clear what they're going to bring about. Okay, with that, we're going to see warfare taking place, and it's interesting, it kind of starts out on the earth, then the warfare moves to heaven, and then the warfare comes back to earth. And we're going to see Satan himself interacting before God in heaven. Now some people's theology gets wrecked right there. How many of you ever heard that Good and evil can't coexist in the same place. God can't even have evil in his presence. Well, guess what? Where do you think the accuser of the brethren is doing his accusing? Before the throne of God. Remember in, in, in the Old Testament, Job? Satan didn't send a letter to God. He was talking to him in the presence of God in heaven. But there is coming a time, and we'll get there today, where he is kicked out for the last time. And quite frankly, all hell breaks loose on earth. And we'll see that in just a few minutes. Now, I'm not going to spend time, but you'll also notice as we go through this, there are seven signs. You know, there's the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls. And there are seven signs that aren't spoken about as significantly, but we're going to, I just want to mention that because we're going to see in our Scripture today the first two signs for sure. And again, these signs are just something kind of as a landmark, showing us what's taking place. And of the signs that we see, only one of them is a good omen, the first one. After that, every sign you read in the rest of the Revelation, when it says, and another sign, and it's like, oh boy, here it comes again. It's not a good thing. So we're going to go ahead and look, and, and keep in mind, this is a parenthetical section or or an interlude giving us an overview. So we're going to read... Of verses here, a couple of verses at a time as we go through this, starting in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give verse our first sign from heaven. This is the only good sign, the only positive sign we're going to see as we continue through this. And this woman that's mentioned is associated with many different religions. And in different religions, it's represented differently. Now, a number of us in here probably come from Catholic backgrounds. So I know some of us do. The Catholics, have, if you've, maybe you've seen pictures or stained glass windows of Mary only they call her Mary, the queen of heaven. And they get that based on this scripture. And you'll see these pictures of Mary standing on the moon with the sun in the background behind her head, with 12 stars around her head as a, as a crown. And a lot of the pictures you see of that, she will be holding the child. They say that this woman that's being read about here is Mary. Um, I would disagree with that completely for many reasons as we go through. But one of the reasons I would disagree with that completely is it's going to tell us in a few verses that the dragon, the enemy, comes and torments the woman in the last half of tribulation. So in my mind, that woman couldn't be any individual person who's ever lived in the past, ever. The woman represents, in my mind, the nation Israel, God's chosen people. So when we look at these first verses, it says the sun and the moon. Maybe you'll remember back in Genesis when Joseph had a couple visions and he made the mistake of sharing them with his brothers and his family. In one of the visions he says, I had this vision and the sun and the moon and the 11 stars are bowing down before me. The sun representing Jacob, his father. The moon representing the mother of all the children. Joseph's mother being Rachel. Bowing down and worshiping him. And here it looks like Joseph is counted amongst the 12 stars. What is that all representative of? The nation of Israel, God's chosen people. God's chosen people. So I believe it's clear to me anyway that it's not a woman, a person. It represents God. God's chosen people and it talks about the labor and the pain that this woman is in the travailing of Israel for their Messiah they have been waiting hundreds actually thousands of years for the Messiah to come up to the time of Jesus They were looking for the Messiah. They were praying for the Messiah. They were travailing for the Messiah in spiritual pain and anguish, if you would, for the Messiah to come. And then he does eventually come. In verse 3, it continues. And it says, And another sign appeared in heaven. And from here on out, the signs are bad news. Another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems, or seven crowns. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven, and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Again, you can see where the Catholic religion, and they're not the only religion that's grabbed a hold of this woman and put her in their, their faith, in their teaching. But, but the woman, travailing in pain. Israel, travailing for the Messiah. And then the Messiah comes. And the red dragon, we'll see very clearly in just a few verses, is defined and declared to be Satan himself. Satan. Satan's mission from day one has to been destroy God's people. To be destroy Jesus. To destroy the church. And it won't continue until... After the church is gone, he will go back and focus even more on God's people Israel. This dragon had seven hens and ten horns and seven crowns. The crowns are kind of... Probably the easiest thing to say, what do they represent? An authority. An authority that's Satan. It's a phony authority. It's a false authority. He was trying to declare he was king. God's the king. Now, I'm going to go back just briefly. I'm not going to have you turn there necessarily. But the book of Daniel. And I've really kind of been avoiding a lot of this background because it can be confusing and I'm trying to focus on what's going to happen even more so than the symbolism. But to get a clear picture here, I think we have to look back into Daniel. And Daniel is prophesying and he is having visions. And these visions, it even says they were, he was troubled by some of these visions. And in one of Daniel's visions, he first sees four beasts. Four beasts. And these four beasts, it tells us as you read through Daniel who these four beasts actually represent and they represent four empires throughout history. And this is kind of important as we see the end times coming and what's going to take place in that part of the world and where the Antichrist is going to actually come from. One thing I want to make clear, too. The Antichrist is not Satan, right? I hope no one misunderstood that. The Antichrist is a man led by Satan, if you would, or you could almost say probably possessed by Satan. But the dragon is Satan, and we're going to see these beasts and the Antichrist being one of them. So they see the red dragon, four beasts representing the kingdoms. The kingdom, the first one, the Babylonian Empire, and if you're familiar with the history of Israel back in the Old Testament, uh, you'll understand and recognize some of these. If not, Just trust me that they did exist. The Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire. And he acknowledges and tells us clearly that's who they were. And the ten horns that are being talked about, the Roman Empire was the last of the four. And if we were going to develop all of this with Scripture from, from... Daniel, Ezekiel, Thessalonians, etc., we would discover that it looks like in the end times and that last part of tribulation and during the peaceful time of tribulation even, there's going to be a reviving of ten different kingdoms from the original Roman Empire. And that's why it's significant that we sort of understand this, that the Roman Empire, the ten horns seem to represent these ten kingdoms that are going to be revived in the end times. And during that time, the Antichrist is actually going to conquer three of the kings of those ten kingdoms. And it's going to so influence the other seven that they're all going to come together under the leadership of the Antichrist. Okay, I'm giving you in a nutshell. Go ahead and read daniel chapter chapter well the whole book actually you can get a better picture of it and then it also talks about a little horn being raised up and and again i'm just sharing enough i hope to help you as you're reading through revelation but there's the the 10 horns representing the 10 revived kingdoms from that fourth empire the roman empire and then there's this little horn and this little horn actually represents the antichrist The Antichrist raises up. And it's told to us in Thessalonians that he will reign for, guess how long? Three and a half years. The last three and a half years of the tribulation time. So we start to get a picture of these crazy illustrations that John is seeing in his vision. And again, I want to add again, not everybody agrees with what I've just told you. Okay, I'm telling you what I think, and you really need to study and determine if you think you can believe me or not. The dragon. Notice verse 4. if It's still up there. It starts out, and the tail is swept away, a third of the stars of heaven. A third of the stars of heaven. I believe as we look at this, and we'll see it mentioned again, but what we're seeing here is Satan being kicked out of heaven the first time around. This is when Satan fell. This is when Satan declared that he wanted to be like God. And he led a rebellion in heaven. And we, rec- we can read in at least three different places that it looks like he convinced a third of the angels to go with him. And they're cast out of heaven. So when we look at this, I'm going to go back at first to verse 3. And another sign appeared, and behold, a great red dragon, seven heads, ten horns, and his heads had these crowns. And then when we get to verse 4, his tail sweeps away, this group of angels. If you want to just make a note, if you're trying to decipher where I'm at in all this, in Isaiah chapter 14, especially verses 12 through 17, Isaiah 14:12 through 17 and Ezekiel chapter 28:12 through 14 you can read a very detailed description of Satan and getting cast out of out of heaven So it goes back in the first part of verse 4 to the original fall I believe and then in the last part of verse 4 I believe it jumps ahead thousands of years to the birth of Christ and Satan's attempt to kill him. So when you read it, first, he's cast out of heaven, and then it says he stands before the woman. The Messiah is about to be born. The prophesied one is about to come. And Satan wants to destroy him. He wants to kill him. And in the in between there, so it's like there's a this gap, if you would, of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And during this time, Satan is attacking God's chosen people, Israel, throughout history. When you read the history of Israel, their captivities that they experienced, the Egypt experience, all of these things, Satan was trying to destroy God's people. False doctrines, cults, all of these things were rising. The immorality, you know, God would say, whatever you do, go in and kill everybody, but don't intermarry. Whatever you do, don't intermarry. They go in and what do they do? They intermarry. Over and over and over we see these things where God's chosen people are trying to be destroyed. Probably the one evident thing that we we remember most clearly in our stories is the story of Jesus' birth and King Herod. Jesus was born. King Herod heard that he was born, and he heard he was born in the area of Bethlehem, so he made an order, didn't he? go and kill all the babies, the male babies, under the age of two in Bethlehem and the surrounding area of Bethlehem. An attempt again to kill the Messiah before he could grow. Then going to verse 5 and 6, we go on. So we've seen the woman Israel, the red dragon the devil, and now in verse 5 we get introduced to the child. And she gave birth to a son. A child prophesied to come forth from the nation of Israel. And we could see the lineage in the genealogy of Israel. A child came forth, a male child, who is to, to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God, to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God so that there she might be nourished for 1,260 days. And by now you may be connected, that many days is three and one-half years. The woman, keep in mind, the nation of Israel. So as we look at this, verse 5, it actually goes from the birth of Jesus to the ascension of Jesus. And when you hear that and look at it that way, all of a sudden, verse 5 isn't so confusing. She gave birth to a son. The advent, Christmas, the birth of Jesus, who's to rule the nations. Well, when's he going to rule the nations with an iron fist? Not till the very end of the tribulation when he comes back to rule and reign. So this verse is giving all... And then it goes on and says, And her child was caught up to God, to the throne of God. When did that happen? His ascension. So this verse really gives us this information of Jesus being born, coming from the nation of Israel as the Messiah, and it takes us, tells us eventually he's going to rule, but he, right now he's been ascended to heaven with a job to do. Intercede for each one of us before the throne of God. And in verse 6, and we'll elaborate on this in a few moments, but in verse 6 it tells us that the Jewish nation, Israel, the woman, is going to be supernaturally, supernaturally protected by God for three and a half years. God's always got a remnant. No matter what has happened throughout history, there's always been a remnant. God is going to supernaturally, and there's some great stories about how that's going to happen. We just don't exactly know For sure. I'll share probably one of them at least in just a few minutes. Now, during the time of Jesus, let's even precede that. Before Jesus' birth, Satan was trying to destroy God's chosen people, Israel. The Messiah is born. He's trying to kill Jesus. The day that Jesus took his last breath on the cross and said, It is finished. I'm sure all of the demons and Satan himself Thought they had won. The Messiah is dead. Three days later, their enthusiasm, joy, and partying came to a screeching halt when Jesus was raised from the dead. And a number of days later, he ascended to heaven. Gal, not much Satan can do about that anymore. So, where did he re-aim his tormenting focus? The church of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean he took all the pressure off Israel. We have to be aware that they've been attacked throughout history. But the church became the temple of God. The church, the bullseye on the church became much bigger from Satan's perspective. The persecution of the church, false doctrine, anything and everything he can do to destroy the church. And usually it's through people through men, through women. The church under attack. The fury of God had been increased. Now once the church disappears, if you believe like I believe, before the tribulation started, the church was raptured, taken up. All of a sudden, there's not much Satan can do about that anymore. And he refocuses and the woman Israel you see this dramatic scene being played out and in this section of scripture we're kind of getting an overview of what's taking place this whole time and now in chapter verse 7 we see the war intensifying I believe this is all taking place at that three and a half year time frame give or take a month or two either way doesn't matter to me but Literally, the intensifying of the face and the attack is taking over, taking place. We'll see the one who is the Antichrist a little later. We'll see that this is when his political he's the political power. There's another beast called the false prophet who's the religious power. And all of a sudden, the religious leader says, we're going to worship the Antichrist. The abomination of desolation, it's called. It's when the Antichrist... Goes into the temple that's been rebuilt, and he's in the temple, and you worship me. And everything intensifies. Starting in verse 7. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. And the dragon and the angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan. Pretty easy to identify the dragon now, isn't it? He is Satan who deceives the whole world, and he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. This is the last time Satan gets to be before God in heaven. He is thrown out. And we're seeing in a little while, one of the next verses says, he knows his time is short, so he is like a wounded, cornered animal. And he lets everything go at the church, at the Jewish people, God's chosen people. And a battle takes place in heaven. Who is Michael? And I'm not going to elaborate on this very long. I believe clearly Michael is an angel. He's the archangel Michael. There is a number of commentaries you'll read that they identify this because they're still stuck. I don't know how they go from the child being Jesus, but they still think Michael is the Jesus. Because the other angels are all following Jesus. They're Jesus' angels. Well, I believe it's very clear in Scripture that Michael is an angel. He is one of the archangels. As a matter of fact, if you know your biblical history a little bit, you remember there was this battle taking place for the battle, the battle was over the body of Moses. And who intervened? Who was fighting that battle? Michael the archangel. And when you read the story, you'll read these words. Michael the archangel did not even dare make accusations against Satan. All he simply said was, Lord... You take care of it. That doesn't sound like Jesus, the Lord, talking. And there's many other reasons. I believe it's clear that Michael is an archangel. He is leading the other two-thirds of the angels in heaven, and there's a battle taking place in heaven. And Satan loses. Satan lost the battle. There was no longer a place for him in heaven, verse 8. And they're thrown down to the earth. And verse 10 is like a celebration takes place. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren who has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. And they were overcome. They overcome him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even to this, even to death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time left. The voice from heaven. I believe the voice from heaven, in this case, are believers, the martyrs that are already in heaven. It refers to the authority of the kingdom of our God, the authority of our Christ, and it refers to our brethren. So I believe they're believers. And they overcome him. How? They overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. They overcome him by the testimony. And they overcome him because they do not value their life compared to life with Christ. The same type of things that we need to have in us that we can withstand the days that we're even living in now. We are free because of the blood of the Lamb. We have a testimony to declare, not only the testimony of the truth of the Word of God, but if you are a born-again believer, you have a testimony to share of what God's done in your own life. And it should strengthen your faith and build your faith. How can we stand? Because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the testimony, and because we understand that life that we're living right now is just temporal, To live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he's saying, and their brethren in heaven are declaring this over their brethren that are going to be going through and living in this tribulation time. And then it says, woe to the earth because Satan knows his time is short. That's good news. But it's also bad news. Because this woe is coming and it's going to be Terrible on the earth. And this is where the war moves from heaven and the war moves to earth. And the persecution of the woman and the godly remnant of the woman and all that's going to take place with the rise of the Antichrist and the worship of the antichrist takes place because Satan has been kicked out of heaven for the last time. The persecution intensifies over Israel in verse 13 and then God supernaturally intervenes. And this is where... I, I don't know. I have no idea how this takes place. It talks about... Well, let me just read a couple more, more verses. Verse 14. And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time, a times and a half a time. That's three and a half years for the presence of, from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent tried to kill him, and he uses pouring out water, and the land saves him. Whether that's literally water and flooding and because of the terrain and topography of the land, I don't know. But I do know they're provided for. They're taken care of. They're fed. They're protected for three and a half years. And then verse 17, the dra- dragon is outraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring and keep the commandment. who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Some people, and just to give you an idea where you can go with some of these things, some people think the eagle, when you see the wings of an eagle or wings, it usually means protection. The eagle is a, happens to be a national symbol of a particular country, the United States. So some people look at this and say, well, I don't know how they're going to all get escaped, but it looks like it must be a massive airlift, and the eagle represents the United States. So our fleet that's going to be in the Mediterranean Sea is somehow going to go in. And I'm not trying to sound sarcastic if I am. I'm so sorry. But they sometimes think that a lot of people believe this. And I don't know. I don't know how it's going to happen. I personally think it's going to be more supernatural than that. But however it happens, we know this much. And this is what I, why I don't get hung up on all the symbolism because what's going to happen is made clear. They are going to be protected by God for the three and a half years of the last half of tribulation. He is going to protect them. Even though he, the dragon is enraged. And when we start looking at this. I believe the last few seals. I believe all the trumpets. And I believe all the bowls of wrath are going to be poured out in that last three and a half years. The intensity of the torment is going to be Unbelievable. In the next chapter, you're going to get introduced to the beast that represents the Antichrist and the beast that represents the false prophet. And you're going to get introduced to the mark of the beast, which most of us have heard about, the 666, and the worship of the beast. And all that will worship him, and if you will not worship him, you're a target to become a martyr. A lot of people say Revelation is hard to understand. I'd say, yeah, it can be. I want to encourage you, if you're writing anything down or just put this little bit in your memory, because a lot of people say, I like to just stay in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I get it. That Revelation stuff, I don't know. Matthew chapter 24. I'd encourage you to go back and read Matthew chapter 24 in light of what you've been hearing from the book of Revelation the last few weeks. Jesus himself basically laid out everything that we've been talking about. Everything. And even a timeline that we could follow. So go back to the Gospel of Matthew. When you see all these things happening, you know, you look around the world. If you listen to the news, you look around the world, you look what's happening, it can be really discouraging. And if that doesn't discourage you enough, if you believe what the Bible says is true, what you read Revelation, it's like, oh my goodness. This is horrible. We can easily forget two very, very important truths from the Scripture. And I want to close with this. The first one is, believers already have the victory in Jesus Christ. The victory has already been won. When Satan When when Jesus was raised from the dead, Satan's defeat was totally sealed. As Christians, we are told in Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the full armor of God and draw close to God and resist the devil. The victory's already been won. We need to remember that. No matter what's going on, we've already won the victory through Christ. And two, Satan is defeated and his days are numbered. His days are about over. And as Christians, we can get discouraged. We can almost become hopeless if we're not careful. We can always, oftentimes think that things are so out of control, but we need to remember God's in control. The victory's already been won, and there's coming a day when Satan will be cast into the pit forever. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we continue to study Revelation, Lord, that you would give us understanding and revelation, wisdom. God, I pray that if anything I say is is crazy or wrong, that it would just fall to the ground and do no harm to anyone. I pray you draw us to your word, Father God, that we would be drawn to your word and let your Holy Spirit be our teacher. I thank you, God, for the, the warnings we have and the promises that we have in Scripture. Lord, I pray that we would hang on to the promises that we are victors in Christ, that we will not have to experience your wrath because Jesus took it all for us, and that we would rejoice in that. And I pray now as we go our separate ways, Lord, that you would go before us, you would continue to give us opportunities to share the love of Jesus through our acts and our words, and share the hope that we have in Christ. Protect us, watch over us. I pray for protection for all the people that are driving around, uh, going to parties for graduates. Watch over them, keep them safe. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.